Good morning. It is Monday, May 27th. It's 7.23 a.m. It's Memorial Day. And it's a day when Americans everywhere are hopefully honoring those who have died in wars. It's a bloody business. It's basically Murder Incorporated. And um, the most vulnerable in our society are the ones who usually get tricked into having to to uh, sacrifice their lives for us. Uh, it wasn't always that way, um, but that's how it is now. Um, you see a lot of recruitment stations in poorer neighborhoods, and um, they really do target people and trick people into thinking that they don't have any other options and that joining the army is the best option for them. Anywho, um, I am grateful to those who have given their lives for this country and I hope that our country can survive what is going through right now. The, uh, what is it? The scourge that dare not speak its name. Um, it has been a very, very busy, heavy, productive week, as usual, working nonstop, really long days, averaging out to about 14-hour days, just working, working, working. You know the drill, shopping, shipping, shooting, selling, rinse, repeat, all good stuff. Um Yesterday was the Carnival Parade on 24th Street. Um, I was basically in my house until a little bit after it was over. The streets were still gnarly after the parade. I was going to go down to Needles and Pens and do some tarot, but I was essentially trapped in my home. <laughs> And then during that time, I took a nap, and I realized that I was just very, very tired. Um, I've been going to bed pretty early, like between like 9 and 10.30. But even even with a, a good night's sleep and an early bedtime, I still managed to be really exhausted um, when, I, when I gave myself some downtime. So I'm glad I took that nap. Um, and then I woke up and made myself a salad and watched a movie and then went back to bed. So I think that's a pretty delightful way to spend a Sunday and one of my rare day days off. I don't really take days off. Um, sometimes you just have to have those days where you just don't produce much of anything. The movie I watched, it's on Netflix right now, but I'm sure that you could pretty much watch it on any platform, is The Bishop's Wife with Cary Grant. And it is a British, it's a British production. So it was, it was done in 1948. I forget the name of the man who plays the bishop, but I love him. Um, you know, it's early. I should have written it down. But basically, Cary Grant plays an angel who's coming, he's been summoned by this bishop, 
and <laughs> Cary Grant is just a little too charming for his own good. Um, I love it. He is mischievous. He's extremely sexy. Oh my God. Um, I've always thought Cary Grant was, was beautiful. Um, but I don't know. As, as I get closer to his age, he's, he's starting to kind of become more than beautiful to me. Um, you know, he was married to the heiress of the Woolworths fortune. Um, I think it was like Barbara, Barbara something the fourth, but she was the one of the wealthiest women in the world, and um, he was her fourth husband. I think it's like Barbara Taylor Woolworth or something like that. Um, he was her fourth husband, and um, she she was a very she was a prototypical poor little rich girl. Okay, um, only child raised in boarding schools, raised by governesses, rarely saw her parents. Her mother was a, you know, a bubbly, beautiful, vivacious socialite who hated children. Her father might as well have been a statue. Um, so, so, um, untouchable and so cold. That's, that's, those were her parental figures. They were far, far away from her grasp and uh she how would have these elaborate parties her her home was like this palatial compound so you have your main house which is this huge sprawling mansion and then you have your upstairs downstairs situation within that mansion then you have your stables and then you have your tennis courts and then you have this kind of English garden area, grotto that goes on forever. And then you have a really long swimming pool. And then surrounded by that are other lesser pools. And then on that, on those premises are a beautiful pool house. The pool house is probably like one of those little mansions on little uh, one of those little mansions on Baker Beach area, you know, um, quaint if you're a billionaire. So um, she would have these parties that would be lavishly decorated to the to the nuts, like for what the theme was. So, for example, she had a an India themed party, and these pillows were encrusted with rubies and emeralds like in the era of the Mughals or Mughals however you pronounce it where they they themselves had such an opulent uh, aesthetic that was based on gold brocade and everything being encrusted with rubies and emeralds in that combination so she would have her house the that kind of the palatial pool area and the pool house decorated entirely in a Mughal theme. Okay? So she would go she would go pretty deep with it. She would hire the best of the best. The pillows I make note of the pillows because they had actual 
gemstones in them. They had rubies and emeralds in them. And what would happen is she was so hungry for companionship and for people around her that she would, you know, allow a lot of hangers on to come in and they would do things like pop the jewels out of the pillows. But she was so wealthy or maybe, you know, she was just so unconcerned with that, with that little detail that she just kind of let it go. She wasn't, she did not care about money. Her wait staff were basically her family. Her The people that waited on her, those were her family. Um, they apparently were treated very well, paid very well. Uh, she would, she had married um, like dubious pretenders to thrones. Uh, she'd married, the. I think her first marriage was when she was fairly young, between 16 and 18, to someone who matched her socioeconomic status, which was rare, but he, of course, wasn't as wealthy as she was. Um, it's been a while since I've read the book, but uh, she was also a, had a pretty severe eating disorder. She was anorexic this whole time. Um, and from what I know about anorexia, is one of their compulsions is to they like to because they themselves cannot eat they like to have they like to cook for people and um, have big feasts for people and watch them eat if they can if they if that's in their wheelhouse to do so and I think that might have been part of why she was obsessed with this the element of entertaining too. She was really into lavish feasts. Uh, she herself notoriously subsisted on smoked salmon and champagne, and probably mostly champagne with a lot of pills in between. Uh, by the time, by the time Cary Grant got to her, I believe that was that was in the early 40s if I'm not mistaken. I've got to go back and read the book. It's been about it's been almost 20 years since I read her book. Um but he he was a cheapskate by comparison. Um he was from a a pretty hard scrabble family. Don't let the pretty face fool you. He uh I believe he was Scottish. Um and they're known for having very tight purse strings. And I mean, anyone, <laughs> even if you're Paris Hilton, you could never compare to the opulence and wealth of Barbara. So um, they got married and he was just appalled by, by the uh, over-the-top wasting of money. And that ended up being the downfall of their relationship. He couldn't compete with with the chumminess of, of the downstairs crew, um, they saw him as a threat to their comfort and stability, so they kind of made things a living hell for him. For example, he one of the things he made a fuss about is that um, everybody had their own newspaper delivered to them, their own subscription, instead of just like sharing a newspaper kind of passing it around, you know, if, if you've had the type of job where there's a break room, there might be like a paper or a magazine back there. Imagine if every single person who worked at that job 
had their own newspaper delivered to them and how that would add up if you have an extensive wait staff. Now, not to say that she couldn't cushion the fall, but from someone who's not used to those little things, that added up, and especially if you're a penny pincher to boot. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. So his, even though he was debonair, he was too cheap for Barbara. She didn't want to think about such, uh, you know, trivialities. Uh, what she wanted was love, and she kind of got that in some way uh, from her waitstaff. And uh, they themselves did not want their comforts to be threatened. They were also, there were countless other accessions she made to them. They, they lived the good life on her compound. So also Carrie was, uh, Carrie was a pretty notorious bisexual. So he flip-flopped about um, quite a bit. Uh, throughout the course of his life and um, I can see it yeah so I think that he was probably one of the one of the originals that was kind of like a you know a loudly whispered secret in Hollywood so yeah that's a special interest to me I will try to find the name of that book again it was just like a little paperback that I read and reread a couple times when I was in my 20s Something like Poor Little Rich Girl. Um, I've been noticing a pattern. I've been noticing it for years now. But Thursday is my lucky day. I've kind of... I've been... That's when I get the best deals. That's when I get lucky, usually. Um... That's when I am lucky. And I'm wondering if there's anyone of, of you guys out there who have a lucky day as well. Um, I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of superstitious as opposed to religious. Um, but I've really noticed it. I noticed it, especially the, uh, last Thursday was a very profitable and prosperous day. And I found a lot of things when I was sourcing and it always seems to happen that way. Um, I get a lot of good news on Thursdays. So I thought I'd just do a little, a little tiny bit of research about the origin of Thursday. And I didn't have to dig deep to discover a few tidbits that were of special interest. Um, the mainly Thursday comes from Thor, Thor's day. He's the the Norse god of thunder and lightning. He was born from the Roman occupation of the Germanic peoples in the second and third century A.D. Uh, he is kind of the kind of like the like an Odin type um, in the Indo-European. Uh, structure of deities and archetypes there uh it's broken down into three uh priests warriors and commoners okay so we have sacral martial and economic uh so thor would represent the warrior and a martial archetype uh 
his planet is Jupiter, which is really interesting because Jupiter is the giver of gifts and luck. So Thursday really is a lucky day. And I feel like part of the reason why Thursday's also been lucky is because I believe it's lucky. So even if my day isn't as lucky as my other Thursdays, I'm more optimistic on that day. I will say to myself, well, if it was a Tuesday or, you know, a Monday, which Mondays are a lot of people's unlucky day. If it were a Monday, it would have been worse. So it's definitely food for thought. Uh, St. Olaf in the later years, St. Olaf II, who was also a king of Norway, um, he absorbed the aspects of Thor as his own and kind of made himself into a living demigod in, in his rule. Uh, he happened to have red hair. He probably helped it with some uh, herbal compounds and a hammer uh, were instead of a scepter, he had a large hammer like Thor. Um, you know, he's Thor is the god of lightning, thunder, storms, oak trees, fertility. Oak trees have their own, you know, majesty and fruit. Uh, the nut, the oak fruit. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the acorn? <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, I think that what I'm gathering from my research is that at one point, red hair was more desirable of an asp of a of an aesthetic than it is now. I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna dig too deep on the red hair, um, but it's no coincidence. I think a lot of the deities had red hairs. Um, Indra in the Hindu in the Hindu world had red hair and also a thunderbolt. So it's not just Nordic peoples, uh, it's people from, from other areas too. Um, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about Shango. Uh, Shango was the fourth king of the Oyo empire and I'm bringing him up because he's a demigod that, he was a person that was deified after death posthumously and is the West African uh, version of Thor. And that's why I'm bringing him up. He's very similar to Thor. Um, the Oyo Empire existed uh, between the 15th and 18th centuries in West Africa, primarily in Nigeria. Uh, he was for some reason, because of the dynastic structure and the deified, the living deity elements of the ruling classes, if a natural disaster happened in your reign, then it was blamed on you. Unfortunately, a th huge thunderstorm struck with lightning that killed Chango's wives wives many wives and children and destroyed their their palace um and so that was blamed on him he fled to the forest and he hung himself 
in penance, kind of like a um, harikiri type of thing, a a noble suicide, if you will. Um, and after his death, the homes of his enemies were set on fire, which people begin to say that, you know, in in Shango's death, uh, he was he set the homes on fire, like through his power, not physically, but through his power, the homes of his enemies kind of just went up in flames. Catch my drift? Uh, He has a double axe on his head sometimes. Uh, Sometimes he has two axes. He also has kind of like a, uh, a female Oya, who is sometimes um, kind of submuted into a scepter-like figure. Um, so she's activated. Um, when she's activated, she comes to life and is this, uh, this fertile and, and uh, very sensuous aspect of Chang'o, which is also very feminine, um, She's mischievous. She's flirtatious. Chang Go is also has a reputation for being um, very flirtatious, a ladies' man, very sexual. Uh, he's very muscular, like Thor, but probably a few steps further, I think, in the looks department. Um, Chang Go is cuter, traditionally. Um, he's ruled by drummers. And uh, drum drumming, are is one of the things that like summon helps to summon him because it mimics thunder. Tuesday is his special day, though, so that's where that's where he and Thor diverge. Now, kind of the crumbling of the Oyo Empire through the slave trade. The the people that were enslaved when they were brought over to the west over to america and england other other places the enslaved people were not allowed to practice their um their yoruba religion and they were not allowed to give homage to their orishas there are seven orishas chango is is one of them so what they did was they found saints to to uh, cast to kind of represent and the person that they chose for chango to represent him was saint jerome now saint jerome i was trying to find the uh the aspects but i have a feeling i've never met anyone named jerome that is not a player okay and so that's kind of, there's something in a name because it turns out he was a player. Um, he was born in 342 AD in Dalmatia, which is now kind of probably between Croatia or Slovenia. It's hard to pinpoint because um, in St. Jerome's lifetime, Dalmatia was destroyed and redistributed. Uh, he studied, studied grammar, philosophy, and rhetoric in Rome. And as a student there, he was also quite a philanderer. <laughs> That's what he did 
that was his main focus and his main hobby. Um, so we've all met him, you know, the type of guy that will reel you in with his intellectual prowess. And then basically he's just trying to get in your pants. Um, happened a lot in the nineties. He would out of guilt. Okay. That might be the theme there. Cause Shango had guilt as well, but for different reasons, he would visit the crypts of the dead and he would imagine himself in hell. Um, Back then, during that time, storage of dead people uh, was limited primarily, if you were lucky, to catacombs. Uh, so th- they were like in caves and, you know, some of you have probably been fortunate enough to go to these catacombs. Uh, and yeah, you would wrap your corpse up in your mummy stuff and you'd just slide them into their slot and you'd buy your slot. So he would hang out there and be moody And, you know, at some point, the moodiness and the introspection caused him to convert to Christianity. Likely, he himself was from a Christian family. So, you know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Uh, Him and his associates caught a horrible disease. No one really knows what the disease was. I'm going to guess that it was probably something that's probably been taken care of with vaccinations now. Um, I don't think it's syphilis, but I think it's something kind of adjacent to that. Because uh, he and his friends kind of scattered from each other and all became hermits, (laughs) which was the thing to do. St. Jerome emerged from his hermitage and he became a monk and then he rose in ranks and became a secretary to the Pope at the time. Uh, During this time, Jerome was writing a lot of uh, inflammatory, you know, tomes. He was very sarcastic. At this time in history, pagans ruled the scene, Christians and Catholics or early Christians, they were kind of lower on the totem pole. Uh, they were already made fun of anyway. And pagans were the ones that you didn't want to piss off. Well, he pissed off the wrong pagans. Um, after the Pope that he was serving died, he didn't have the protection. He didn't have the papal protection. And uh, the pagans spread rumors that he was having an affair with a wealthy Catholic or Christian woman named Paula. You know what? He probably was having an affair, okay? Um, A lot of the info you're going to find out about St. Jerome is going to be on a Catholic website. And so because he's a saint, they're going to cover up a lot of shit. So you have to read between the lines. Um... Being that his name is Jerome, he started out as a player. I don't think that he stopped being a player. He found ways to hide it in true player fashion. Uh, He somehow got out of that by advocating for the virginity of the Virgin Mary. That's how he did it, which... To me, I'd say the lady doth protest too much. You know what I'm saying? 
like, yeah, that's the best way to cover up the fact you're a total player is by jumping on the advocacy and of, you know, defending women's virginity. Okay, so it definitely was a player, definitely a hoe. Um, you know, there's, if you're going to go that far to the, to the light side, that means that there's a, a seething underbelly below. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he continued to have women patrons around him all the time. He also translated the Bible from uh, Hebrew and Greek into, uh, into something into basically I think the Latin because it was all it was all broken up in several different languages he translated it into something that could at least be read by priests and uh, some nobility he is now the patron saint of uh, archaeologists and um, and of students librarians and translators I think that I mean, who am I to say why they chose Saint Jerome? But I think it was because he was a player, and Chango is a a symbol of sensuality as well and virility. And I feel like maybe they didn't have that much to choose from. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, those are those are some interesting things, or at least interesting things to me all the cultural and, um, you know, international parallels of that energy that we're trying to capture in our own lives. And I hope that you guys have a good Thursday, have, have a good Monday first, but I would say, you know, try it some time, find out what your lucky day is and, and add, give power to that luck and you'll be pleasantly surprised life is hard enough as it is you know like have a little fun with it <laughs> um i really do like my thursdays those are my lucky days and when something good happens on that day i'm like i knew it i was right and now i've done a little bit of research and in some aspects i i'm affirmed by the collective consciousness all right, I hope you guys all have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye.